This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Company. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI-audio's on-air community, and everyone's invited. And now, the big man himself, Kelly McDonald. He got a couple of sets of headsets here. I wonder if they'd miss any. These these have more bass in them. Oh, by the way, folks. Bit, but you like the, these? Well, I just but like I the bass. Yeah, my, oh. one of mine at home is falling apart. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, so, needs to be replaced. Yeah, it's got a little ring that's rolling around and slides down the you know the the, the cord mm-hmm. like that. Where yep. these also though have that bass. So I'm listening to myself saying, "Who's that guy?" They sound good. Yeah. Wow, it's really kind of weird. Like they just sound clean, clear. The only thing is they pick up everything in the room. So to me, I start thinking, "Hold on, hold on, I'm confused. Where am I? <laughs> <laughs> How are you today?" I'm doing well. These headsets are fine. Um, I do like the microphones here, though. Yeah, the microphones yes. you like? Yes, I do. Mm. And especially the, um, what do you call this, this stuff? Right? The shock mount oh, around the microphone. That's because it's tied on properly. Yes. Somebody knows what they're doing with I've these. Definitely collapsed a few. Um, and they, They're kind of a riddle, folks, to put together. If you've never had to deal with a shock mount, they're, they're a little bit of a riddle in and out in the Fun. way that, that, that the string holds up the microphone. Yep. Uh, we're here because uh, we're shooting promos uh, for Kelly and Ramya. Um, of course, debuting January 9th, if you haven't uh, haven't heard. And uh, we had to be here today, get ourselves together for a shoot day tomorrow. So uh, Danielle and Brock will be sitting in here on the program. So uh, please join them and, and, and root them along and uh, give them some feedback on the show while we're shooting promos that uh, you'll eventually be able to hear on AMI-audio and see on AMI-tv. But today, business at hand. Let's see what's coming up on this edition of Kelly and Company. With Indigenous Veterans Day on uh, November 8th and Remembrance Day on November 11th, Greg David, he's going to be here to spotlight special television programming. We also have The Buzz with Bill Shackleton. That's to kick off the second hour of the show. And on our Money Talk today, Ryan Shin offers answers to our questions and concerns regarding inflation. Hear a lot of people thinking, saying, what's going on? How bad are things going to get? Well, we'll see what he's got for us today when we open up the floor in hour two and uh, fill it up with a lot of questions. Okay, what do we got here going on? Well, well, speaking of inflation, let's talk about the job site Indeed Those guys over there say employers may have a tougher time hiring seasonal workers this holiday season. Indeed says seasonal job postings are up 28% from last year and up 40% from pre-pandemic levels. But the proportion of job seekers is hovering just below pre-pandemic levels, mirroring the overall tight labour market. Senior economist Brendan Bernard says some employers may have a harder time filling spots, even as overall seasonal hiring ramps up, and that they may need to offer higher wages or more flexible schedules to attract workers. John Kelly, the Canadian Press, Toronto. So I want you to think about this before I come to you with this. But think about this question because I don't want to need your reaction or answer. Uh, they come to you for a potential job. So you're wondering, do I have money important? 
or flexible work hours. Now, we noticed during the pandemic that so much of this was talked about. We've had many of our guests on that, that, that kind of give us really the scoop on this. And what is happening in people's minds? How many people took time to educate themselves on something else and maybe say to an employer, well, if you're not hiring me back, you know what? As a matter of fact, I don't even know if I want to be hired back. I'm going elsewhere. So it makes you stop and think, well, why? What, well, how can people just be so cavalier? How can we have a job or an employee's shortage out there when there's so many uh, businesses still trying to make a go, trying to recover, and jobs out there? So it is that kind of question. We hear about how many jobs were lost out there, how many businesses closed, but yet there's a shortage. So, Ramya, somebody says to you, what is important to you? Is it flexible work hours or money? Yeah, and obviously, hands down, you have to be able to afford the flexibility. If you can afford it, then flexible work hours are going to be and are proving to be more and more important for people, Kels. Like, it seems obvious to me that more people are not willing to settle for less flexibility in work. And therefore, if you can afford it, you are going to choose quality of life. And that could be in any kind of scenario, but especially when you're thinking holidays, when you're thinking several rough years in a row where people don't see family, don't see friends, haven't been around the people that they love or aren't even close to them potentially, uh, uh, you know, vicinity-wise, yeah. right, location. Yep. Yeah, then it's going to affect that. You're, if This is the third year in a row for some of us, most of us, uh, thinking, are we going to spend holidays with our family? Mm-hmm. Are we going to get that opportunity? And that's going to affect everybody yes. across the board, whether it's yep. the volunteer things you do, when you choose to go to movies or go do something, go to go, who you're going with on that, or how often you're doing the family walk or you know to a park or time together. So many things have changed to where people want to do stuff or say, look, you know, I don't want to be coming home at night. I want to, I want to enjoy daylight and time. So very interesting findings, but I, I don't, as we keep saying, I think when I hear them, I'm, I'm not, a, not as surprised as one would think, or as certainly as much as I would have been a few years ago. Yeah. Folks, we have a monthly book club. Rum, what's our book of the month? The book of the month is called The Diamond Eye. This is by Kate Quinn. It was a recent release, just like our last book from 2022. And this one's recommended to us by Julie Martin, our community reporter in Pictou County, Nova Scotia. Human narrated Audible or audio on Sela, so check that out. It is also available on Audible. It's an unforgettable World War II tale of a quiet librarian who becomes history's deadliest female sniper. Based on a true story uh, as well, in the snowbound city of Kiev, Ryan, bookish history student Mila Pavlikanko, organizes her life around her library job and her young son. But Hitler's invasion of Russia sends her on a different path. Given a rifle and sent to join the fight, Mila must forge herself from studious girl to deadly sniper, a lethal hunter of Nazis known as Lady Death. When news of her 300th kill makes her a national heroine, Mila finds herself torn from the buddy battles, battlefields, eh, battlefields of the Eastern Front and sent to America on a goodwill tour. Still reeling from whirlwinds and devastated by laws, Mila finds herself isolated and lonely in the glittering world of Washington, D.C. Until 
an unexpected friendship with uh, Lady Eleanor, Eleanor Roosevelt and an even more unlikely connection with the silent fellow sniper offer the possibility of happiness for Mila. But when an old enemy from Mila's past joins forces with a deadly new foe lurking in the shadows, daily, day, Lady Death finds herself battling her own demons. So... This seems like there's a lot going on. It is based on a true story. It's historical fiction, though, just an FYI. Available on Sila and on Audible. We're discussing it on the last Tuesday of the month, which is November 29th. And if you want to check out the book yourself and discuss along with us, send us your comments. Feedback at ami.ca is the email where you can send your written comments. And if you want to call us, call and leave us a voicemail, you can call us at 1-866-509-4545. Wow, how timely. Um so many things with that as we read through that as we talk about it uh, on on uh, at the end of the month on the last Tuesday a, I think we're going to feel especially with the conflict going on now with Russia uh, and the Ukraine it's yes. really makes you stop and and thinking of of the past and present as we we often uh, find that those uh, there's so many parallels we will Take a couple of minutes, ladies and gentlemen, as we get the show started. Grant Hardy, he checks in here in just a moment, and he is going to have the latest health headlines for us. It's Wednesday, right here on Kelly and Company. On Twitter, you can follow AMI-audio, at AMI-audio. That's the right handle there. You can see what's coming up on the programs as we're doing our live show or interact and find out about the other programs. So much information regarding AMI-audio on Twitter, at AMI-audio. If you want to send a message to the gang at uh, uh, over there in marketing communications, feedback at AMI.ca. That's feedback at AMI.ca. Those guys will be happy to get back to you if you have questions about AMI-TV, AMI-Tele, or AMI-Audio, anything to do with uh, Accessible Media, Inc. Feedback at AMI.ca. Welcome back to the program. Ramya Amuthan, Kelly McDonald, the host of the show here weekdays from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Repeat of the show, 10 p.m. Eastern and 6 a.m. in the morning. Well, it's um, not the same time zone as us and not those particular times as we welcome in Grant Hardy. He joins us, our reporter out in Vancouver. Grant, good Wednesday. Well, happy Wednesday to you and Rami as well. And I'm super thrilled to be joining you on the airwaves today, as always. Always glad to have you and uh, settling back here. What do you got for us as we look at <clears throat> health headlines on a Wednesday? Oh, okay. Let's do so. I, I want to make a pledge that I am not going to complain about the Grant Winter Blues all season. But <laughs> I do. <laughs> Otherwise, you know, I might be thrown off the air. And that would not be good for me. Um, however, I do want to do a part two here, kind of, to what we were talking about from a lifestyle context uh, regarding SAD, seasonal affective disorder. This is more of a, a health context, and it's. Uh, just some uh, preventative treatments that you can do if you're experiencing SAD. If you are, you know who you are and right. you're in my club. Now, 
Nobody has really determined uh, biological causes, although some of the latest uh, research reports that basically specialist cells in our brain's master clock may make us more susceptible to winter slowdowns. This clock, which is called the suprachiasmatic nucleus, SCN, is set externally by cells in our retina that communicate changes in light and day length. Uh, and uh, that basically means that reduced light levels from shortening days affect the behavior of neurons in the brain, which tell our body to sleep longer, venture out less, and stock up on carbs. I also would bet anything that for people who don't see a lot of light, like me anyway, that can probably influence even more. Uh, so, um, I find yeah. that interesting, Grant, because, mm-hmm. and Rummy and I talk about our own vision and, and light or, or bothering us or not bothering us, sensitivities. But when you put it that way, and I think about how much as I, I like winter because it, in a lot of times it's cloudier days or, or, uh, the fall is like that. It's cloudier days. And for my eyes, I always have, have liked that. However, the shorter daylight, the dullness to the sky and that, certainly doesn't make me feel energetic, doesn't all winter. And when you talk about oh, stuffing carbs in, you find yourself staying in more because of the cold or whatever. And or even if you are out, you come home and what do you do? Something heavy to keep because it's comfort. And it's very interesting because I look at it that way as a person with a vision impairment, always have put it in that context instead of really wondering, is there something going on mood wise? Otherwise, I, I'm not going to suggest for a moment that I've been sad, down, but I certainly am not as, if you counted the days, probably as full of energy and, uh, you know, full of, full of pep and vinegar. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's the idea, I think, to put it uh, mildly. Um, yeah, so we have a few tips here. Uh, the first one, this is something that uh, I did several years ago, is to splash out on, invest in an SAD lamp to brighten up your home. Uh, so, uh, this is supposed to emulate sunlight, right? Like it. Yeah, exactly. Because emulating basically the rhythm of day and night is particularly important during winter because we are programmed to, uh, respond to that melatonin is produced during the dark hours and is key for many of the body's circadian rhythms importantly serotonin which is key for normal mood regulation is also affected by exposure to daylight uh so the sad lamp or light box is a bright white light emitting at least 2500 lux which is very bright and users are recommended to sit with their eyes open about 50 centimeters away from the light for 30 minutes uh to an hour each day and uh it uh uh is reported to treat SAD in up to 85% of diagnosed cases, which is pretty great. Um, I love my SAD light. Works works wonders for me. Wow. Uh, second tip, yeah. Oh, so you just put I, it on and do that sitting. And, and for you, for people that you know who have had it, it's, it's, it's that much of a, a, it makes that much of a difference. That is phenomenal. Yeah, that's the idea. I've even got it hooked up to... Uh, a really, really dirt cheap smart plug. Right. And so I have it set up so that if I, because my vision is, is bad enough, well, bad enough, it's low enough that 
if I walk away from the light, I actually can't see that it's on. So I have a smart lamp, uh, light so that uh, after a while it will turn off, or if I leave the house, it turns off automatically. Wow. Um, ad adopt a pro-winter mindset is tip number two. Basically, shift your entire attitude towards mint winter, and that will bring another level of SAD defeating benefit. There uh, was a survey of over 238 people living in Norway and the Arctic, and it found that more, the more positively people view winter, the more satisfied and happy they were during the freezing months, during which they never even see the sun for up to eight weeks. So basically, Norwegians, uh, according to the survey, love winter and see it as not something to kind of get through, but actually an opportunity to have fun and participate in winter events. So that attitude shift. This one makes uh, a lot of sense, but feels a lot harder, especially in the oh, transitional months. <laughs> I know, especially the transitional <laughs> months like September, October. Uh, it, it It's very difficult, but I, I can really, really... I can encourage it, right? Like even within myself, I can really encourage that um, change of mindset that how can I like winter just a little more, maybe just one week at a time or, uh, you know, looking forward to different things, but definitely a difficult one, Grant. Totally. Uh, schedule a morning walk. Sad sufferers who take regular one-hour morning walks outdoors feel significantly better in all aspects of their psychology compared with sufferers who sit with a light box for 30 minutes daily, reports a study by investigators at the Psychiatric University Clinic in Basel, uh, Switzerland. Blood tests show that the morning walkers' melatonin hormone levels shifted so that they... Uh, woke more readily while their levels of the stress hormone cortisol dropped, says the report in the Journal of Effective Disorders. Uh, so uh, basically, it's a question of not just fitting your walk in during the day, but actually mm -hmm. trying to get it in during those light hours. Yeah. Because that don't timing. they say cortisol, it's at its peak 45 minutes after you wake up? I, I swear I read this very recently. So I think that's why it's emphasized as well to be a morning walk and not just a, a walk any time of the day um, because your stress hormones can decrease in that first little bit of time that you're awake. Yeah, kind of gets the day started on yeah. the right foot. And uh, just a couple other quick things. They say to keep moving at home. Don't just sit still, but kind of make a point of moving around. And yes, cut back on carbs, basically SAD, or I say sad sufferers, tend to eat more carbs, which creates a vicious cycle of feeling more lethargic, and then eating more carbs, and then that makes you feel even more lethargic, and the cycle keeps repeating itself. Yeah, which makes total sense, <laughs> because you look at that, as you say, it's the vicious circle. I know a lot of people will say, and, and I'm one of those, I'd rather get workout done in the in the early part of the day, and I think sometimes... And that's always been kind of my mantra. I hated doing it later in the day, especially when I was in school and we had wrestling practice or 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 karate or anything like that. But I always felt also, ah, it's done. I took care of it. It was like, wow, okay, one one task done that is really important yeah. to get done. You, you feel very rewarded that way. Oh, that's so smart. See, I've always been kind of like, oh, 
crap, it's, you know, 6 p.m. and I still haven't done my work. Okay, I better go for a walk or something. Yeah, I always and think getting then, rid of it early is, is just so I, – I don't mean you don't have to. In the morning is what I used to always think was the best way because of that. But, uh, you know, I've also, uh, you know, gone through periods where before I was working, I know I used to work out a lot at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and that wasn't too bad either at, for some reason. And I think it's a lot of what you do. Swimming people, I mean, must be wonderful to jump in a pool that early in the morning, wake yourself up. But then again, there's something to be said for working out uh, in the evening and then being able to go lay down and all your muscles relaxed. Yeah, Ooh, that's a good idea is to get back into swimming for me for the winter. That's so a great that, winter one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So and of course, they do say to see your GP if things don't improve, which makes right. total sense. Yeah. For sure. um, yeah, we got time for another. Yes, sir. Oh, hey, we've got a few tips on uh, how to relax before bedtime instead of just trying to get to go to sleep when your mind is buzzing and wired. Mm. This is something, again, I deal with. Uh, number one is to practice something like yoga. A 30-minute yoga uh, practice has not only been uh, likened to getting about three hours of sleep, which is insane, but it can also serve as a beautiful precursor to a full and rested night's sleep. We're entering a big shift towards slow living. Darken down the home. Uh, reduce light levels in your home. Switch on blue light filters and turn down the brightness of your devices at least two hours before bed, which helps reduce that melatonin hormone. Gently stretch. Ease any physical discomfort or pain before bed uh it, it increased the chance uh of getting a good night uh, sleep as well um uh oh this is a good one be grateful basically keeping a gratitude journal or just taking a while to reflect on people and things that you're grateful for in life uh brings huge benefits apparently which is really interesting um i don't know if any either of you do this but basically apparently scientific research tells us that actively reflecting on what we're grateful for in life helps us have a more positive mindset this helps relax us both mentally and emotionally and can have a very positive effect on our sleep it's not a thing that I practice every night. It's probably best that we all do. But um, it is something that I find myself uh, using when I'm having really down days. It's kind of that counting your blessings concept, right? Um, but showing more gratitude, showing appreciation, um, being thankful. And I've seen a lot of content on this with self-development and such that it does make a huge difference. And so I find that if I'm having a very low day, that's the way to go. Yeah. Yeah. And it cuts down so much on your, you feel appreciative and you look at the good things instead of always, oh my goodness, yeah. there's so many. It's a different energy. Yeah. You know, it's sort of like the people say, well, I don't want to watch news because it's always a downer. Grant, we'll talk to you later. All right, guys, have a good morning. Grant Hardy joining us on Wednesdays for Health Headlines. Coming up next, folks, with Indigenous Veterans Day on November 8th and Remembrance Day on November 11th, Greg David, he's going to arrive to spotlight some special programming in a moment.
Welcome back to the program. Ramya Muthan, Kelly McDonald, host of the show. Yeah, I think whatever works, as we were speaking with Grant a few moments ago, whether it's timing for a workout, whether it's taking that time to think positive thoughts in the way of things we're, we're thankful for, as you were pointing out, Ramya, I, I think so many of the things that we need, each one of us, and we discover probably at an early point in our life make us feel happy. I, I know I used to always think, oh, I'm a little down today, but I felt it was me. There was something that I could do, think about, uh, that would make me feel better and pull me out of it. It wasn't necessarily anything that, you know, uh, you know I didn't have uh, 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 something that made me that way in a sense. It was always usually something I was lucky enough that I could point and say, well, you're letting that bother you. And unfortunately, that doesn't work the same for everyone. So everybody has to, when they can, find that thing if they're blessed enough to be able to. That does at least make them smile, feel better. And I know the world, our life is, is that up and down thing. And, and sometimes some of us, as Grant was talking about with, with the SADs, you can't do a darn thing about it except try different things that are recommended by people in the same situation and, and the specialists and, and see what hopefully, hopefully works for you. Well, definitely the more that we chat, uh, more that we understand how different it can be for people, how individual the experiences are, the the more informed we become, right? And the more empathetic as well empathetic to ourselves and, and people to each don't other. feel so alone exactly. about things. Exactly. And at least, you know, certainly we can't always walk in someone else's shoes, but at least you can try to understand about their shoes and their circumstance. Let's talk a little TV with our communications specialist here at AMI, Greg David. I'm Greg David, and I love television. Reality shows, dramas, sitcoms, and documentaries, I watch them all. I'm excited to share my passion for the television industry with you in front of and behind the cameras as it changes and evolves. Welcome back to the show, Greg. I know he's there. I know he's there. He just missed the welcome back to the show. So, Uh, Greg, with Indigenous... Veterans Day on November 8th and Remembrance Day on November 11th. You wanted to do some spotlighting of some special programming that we'll be able to uh, to, to take in over the next uh, week and a half for sure. Uh, what program, first of all, let's start with Indigenous Veterans Day, uh, is, is out there? Yeah, um, a little bit of background um, on Indigenous Veterans Day. It recognizes uh, First Nations people who have served in missions across Canada and around the world in times of war and conflict and peace. And the project that I wanted to let the two of you know about is uh, is a documentary called Forgotten Warriors. And it's a National Film Board of Canada documentary from Loretta Todd. And Loretta is a filmmaker and artist of Cree, Métis, and European ancestry. And she created this uh, documentary from 1997 that's narrated by Indigenous actor Gordon Tutusis. And it introduces us to thousands of Indigenous Canadians who enlisted and fought alongside their countrymen and women during the Second World War. They chose to fight, even though they couldn't be conscripted. So they, you know, they stepped up. Um, you know, they talked the a lot. Uh, basically, every person that they talked to said, "Listen, I signed up because my buddies were doing it, and they did it because their buddies were doing it, and so that's why I I signed up to to represent Canada." And but the other side of this documentary is that aside from 
you know, fighting for this country that they love, when they came back to it, they were being denied equality in their own country. And in a lot of cases, they returned home to find out that their land had been seized and was being given to white Canadian veterans that were returning from war. So they were taking the land away from the indigenous people and giving them to the whites. Uh, What's interesting, like this was a fascinating documentary uh, because it offers the testimony of those who were there and how they managed to heal when they came back to this country. Uh, And it includes a ton of firsthand accounts of indigenous soldiers who stormed the beach at Normandy on D-Day and were in a lot of cases there to the very end of the war. Uh, It's available on the National Film Board website and it has closed captioning, but the only negative is that there isn't any described video. It's 51 minutes long, but I felt that the subject matter was so strong. What you are missing are the names of the people being shown on screen and some visuals. But just listening to the stories of these veterans before they went over them, recalling why they signed up, their experiences overseas and what they dealt with when they got home. I felt like the storytelling was so strong that I wanted to mention it here today, despite the fact that there's no described video in it. It, It's so powerful to me. You know, we talk about mistreatment of people, apologies. Mm -hmm. We were saying this the other day on the program about uh, with the students from W.R.S. McDonald school uh, talking to us, apologies that have had to been made for these heinous things done. But when you see that people who have volunteered to go and protect the country they deem as theirs, which it is, mm-hmm. the, the mm-hmm. country I deem as mine, which it is, and they come home to not only be not recognized for years, but to have their land stolen. I, you know, you talk about indignities upon indignities, and how do you, how do you get much lower? And it's yeah. unbelievable. No, it's it's very well said, and you know the fact that they do talk they do talk about that, but they also say they wouldn't have changed anything. They still were fighting for this yes. country that they love, despite the fact that the country has treated them so badly. It's oh. just so it's so ironic, and I guess it is. You know, it comes down to freedom and and wanting to do your part. Yeah, and we hear about that that you know World War Two, World War One. There's just you stop and say, so at what point did anyone learn? anything or was this total no it's okay it's just because it's it's our indigenous peoples who you know the our our first people here we can treat them this way like yeah i i don't even know how you go years without saying you know that's a lousy thing we're doing yep Mm -hmm. wow Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it It takes it takes it's sorry, uh, Ramya, it's just taking, you know, and it taken the federal government so long to make apologies to groups that have been mistreated, whether it be Chinese Canadians, you know, throughout the, the, the Second World War uh, and everything. It's just it takes so long for these apologies to, ha- to happen, but they do need to happen. Sorry, Ramya. To, to even acknowledge. No, that's OK. To even acknowledge that this was mistreatment and maltreatment of people um, takes so long, let alone the apology. Right. Uh, will there be any live TV coverage of any Indigenous de- Indigenous Veterans Day events? Yeah, so APTN is is planning on covering Indigenous Veterans Day uh, with some special programming next Tuesday, November the 8th. They weren't able to give me any specific details, but they also did note that there are uh, many, many um, uh, war-related and veteran-related movies that they're going to be airing uh, within the next week or so as well. Um, You know, not just about Indigenous Veterans Day, but about Canadians fighting overseas uh, throughout, uh, you know, the different wars as well. So APTN will have lots of coverage in the next uh, week and a half. 
History Channel has a new documentary um, series going on for Remembrance Day. Want to tell us a little bit about our, our war? Yeah, this is a really interesting one. It's a four-part docu-series that's going to be premiering on History Channel next Friday, November the 11th, which is Remembrance Day at 9 p.m. Eastern and Pacific. And it's going to reveal Canadian stories about ordinary individuals who have made extraordinary sacrifices and heroic contributions during the First and Second World War. But it's going to follow the descendants of these people as they search for clues to uncover the amazing true stories of their family members. And so in one case, from the descendants of one of Canada's first black servicemen to the great-grandnephew of a female intelligence officer stationed at Bletchley Park, it's going to tell those stories. And one of the interesting ones, uh, this this is actually the second out of the four episodes, a teenage descendant of legendary Onondaga long-distance runner Tom Longboat learns about his ancestors' valiant but little-known actions during the First World War, and he eventually learns that his great-great-great-grandfather was much more than just a long-distance runner. Uh, which is a fascinating story. Um, Tom Longboat is from the Six Nations uh, Reservations just outside of Brantford, Ontario, where I grew up. And uh, and that was, you know, what you learned about him is that he ran. I didn't know anything about him serving during the First World War. So I'll be interested in, in watching this episode of uh, of uh, of our war. <clears throat> and aside from this new special, History is going to be broadcasting past episodes of Remembrance Day-related programming. Though they didn't send me details in time for our chat, um, History uh, Channel is really good about broadcasting old episodes, movies, documentaries that concern, again, Canada's role in uh, in different conflicts around the world. Great place to start, too, that episode that you just highlighted, um, mm-hmm. close to where you're, you were born, where you grew up, right? Like that kind of thing, understanding even just around you, um, yep. the people, the the histories of uh, the places and before you were there or even as you're there now. Will AMI be broadcasting live from Parliament Hill on Remembrance we, Day? Uh, yes, we absolutely will be. The uh, I think the contract was signed just yesterday or the day before. Uh, AMI is going to simulcast the CBC News special, Remembrance Day 2022. It's going to be live coverage of the main events of the day in Canada and around the world. And that kicks off at 10 a.m. Eastern on AMI-tv, and it runs until 12.30 p.m. Eastern. And, uh, of course, aside from uh, AMI providing live coverage in CBC, of course, uh, any of the local television stations will be providing live events in their communities across the country. You know, City TV in Toronto uh, usually does something, uh, CTV as well. So aside from the big broadcasters doing the national stuff, your your smaller communities across the country will uh, will be doing live coverage from different events, too. Okay. Uh, Does AMI have any other plans to recognize Remembrance Day? Yeah, we have the broadcast rights to a series of documentaries called Canada Remembers, and two of them are going to be broadcast on AMI-TV on November the 11th. Uh, The first one is called Canada Remembers Our Heroes, Operation Friction, and that's broadcast at 1 p.m. Eastern on AMI-TV next Friday. And that gives a historical context and firsthand accounts of Canada's military involvement in the first Gulf War, which began in 1990. And as a part of the coalition forces of more than 30 countries, Canada helped liberate Kuwait. 
And the second episode is going to be uh, in the Canada Remembers Our Heroes is called Peacekeepers and Peace Enforcement. That's going to be broadcast at 2 p.m. Eastern on AMI-tv, so right after the first one. And uh, since the inception of the United Nations, methods of creating lasting peace have occupied the world. In this episode, Peacekeepers and Peace Enforcement tells Canada's stories involving keeping and enforcing peace in war-torn countries. So kind of uh, those two episodes, kind of the bigger picture, uh, you know, just not the the First and Second World War or Vietnam, but uh, but some of the, the smaller conflicts around the world and, and the way that Canada has been involved in them. And just so we cover off a little more, Greg, uh, any streaming services where folks can watch programming from the front lines? Yeah, I wanted to mention uh, two of them. Uh, Netflix has a new version of All Quiet on the Western Front that just debuted last week. Uh, this is based on the 1929 novel of the same name by Eric Maria Remark. And there was also the original movie uh, was made in 1930. So this is an update uh, for 2022. It's set in the closing years of the First World War, and it follows the life of a German soldier who, after enlisting in the German army with his friends, finds himself at risk to the uh, realities of war, shattering early hopes of becoming heroes. So that's one that you'll want to check out. But the other one is a classic that I check out every year at this time. It's over on Crave, and it's called Band of Brothers. And that's based on historian Stephen E. Ambrose's 1992 nonfiction book of the same name, which I have read. And if you're a fan of Stephen Ambrose or just of the Band of Brothers, you should definitely check out the book. Uh, But the 10-episode series dramatizes the history of Easy Company, 2nd Battalion, 506th Parachute Infantry Regiment of the 101st Airborne Division, and it follows them from jump training into, into the U, uh, in the U.S. through its participation in major actions in Europe. This group were together from D-Day through Battle of the Bulge all the way to entering Adolf Hitler's Eagle's Nest at the end of the Second World War. Uh, sadly, not all of them made it through, but there were a few that were there at both ends of the, of the Second World War. And uh, it's produced by Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks, and it won seven primetime Emmy Awards. So check wow. out Band of Brothers on Crave. Thanks, Greg. Lots of fantastic stuff to, to make us remember, ladies and gentlemen, as we, we need to do and um, pay respect for those who have made everything so possible for us to be able to take part in and do every day. Thank Greg. You're welcome. Greg David, join him every other Wednesday here on Kelly and Company to talk all things television. Up next, we learn about makers making change which connects makers to people with disabilities who need assistive technologies. We'll get into that conversation and learn a lot of cool stuff after this. Let me try that. Find Kelly and Company right from your TV, folks. Uh, you can check us out, Compton Channel 88 and Rogers Atlantic Channel 196. Visit ami.ca slash audio for a list of channel locations in your area. Ramya Muthan, Kelly McDonald, we're the hosts of the program. Oh, do I have my mic on? There you go. Oh, okay. Sounding weird in my ear. 
Um, excellent conversation ahead for us as well, talking about the Neil Squire Society. They aim to ch- achieve economic and social inclusiveness for all people with disabilities. And they run a variety of programming to achieve this, including Makers Making Change, which leverages the capacity of community-based makers, disability professionals, and volunteers to develop and deliver affordable open-source assistive technologies. This is very, very exciting. And to learn more about this, we're chatting with Director of Innovation at the Neil Squire Society, Chad Lehman. Chad, welcome to Kelly & Company. Thank you for having me today. Lovely hearing from you. So let's talk more about Makers Making Change. Can you tell us a little bit more about it and what you do, aside from the intro that I just gave? (laughs) Yeah, great intro. Uh, Neil Squire does have a wide array of programs and services. Makers Making Change is a little bit different. It's a new model to get people with disabilities assistive technology they need. So we have a library of assistive devices that are all freely available open source. So you think how, you know, if you want a shelf, you can go to Ikea and buy the parts and build it yourself. Mm-hmm. We're taking the same sort of approach to assistive technology. So we have over 180 devices on the website that has guides on, you know, what you need to 3D print or an assembly manual of pieces you need to buy to help build different assistive devices. Wow. Okay, so that's pretty amazing. And I, I want to talk more about that, but can you give us, debrief us on the hacker, hacker's uh, or sorry, Hacking for the Holidays fundraiser and the goals of this campaign, and then we've come loop back around to uh, Makers Making Change. Wasn't sure if you are able to uh, hear Ramya there. Uh, she was wondering, too, about the Hacking for the Holidays fundraisers and the goals of the campaign. Oh, may have, maybe we will. Well, we've well, we've lost him. Okay. Okay. So he heard. So we could hear you, but uh, wasn't there. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is first of all. Um, I love the the comparison of uh, IKEA to this this initiative, Kells, because I think that this is fantastic, especially when we're talking about the affordability of um, assistive devices, right? Because oh. we know that that's the challenge yep. that so many of us uh, talk about. We're transparent about in the disability community. Um, and as technology keeps getting better and as people become more innovative, um, it's still a challenge to be able to navigate finances. And, and I think what we're looking at is that way of thinking of things outside the box and incorporating it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, pretty, pretty interesting. And Chad, I believe we have you back. We were just wondering about the hacking for the holidays fundraiser and the goals of the campaign. No, we're not hearing mm-hmm. Chad we're again. We're not hearing Chad yet either. Okay. All right. We'll see if we uh, we can get him back on here, folks, in a couple of moments. Yeah. I, I've I've uh, involved myself in a few uh, things, especially when I was shooting Blindsided, and we would try a few things. And I remember going out and just learning about devices, and I did this with other AMI TV programs, where you'd see a group of people sitting down, breaking an idea out. Um, tasked with something that maybe one of the people started. And a lot of the schools do this, the universities and colleges. And it's amazing because they'll use different things and think this is how we could use this to accomplish this for a person with needing this accessible need, Ramya. And I've seen things from helping somebody get their bowl of cereal together in the morning independently using a device 
that was literally made up to help their circumstance yep. that could lend itself to helping so many other people. Um, I've seen things made up to assist with lawn bowling and stuff like that where people are able to to, to be able to, instead of having that coach, you know, hey, do that or, or standing there clapping you maybe you have a device that can help you with that situation Mm -hmm. there are just so many things that these these makers these people who have the experience and want to say well how can i help and and not do something that they're used to doing but they have the thinking outside the box abilities to do so it's phenomenal it is phenomenal and i think that the the little things, I mean, it may seem little, but they are huge, obviously. But the little things that you can do to create accessibility from something that already exists um, is fantastic, which is what's happening with the Hacking for the Holidays campaign. Chat, I believe we're uh, trying to get you back on here. Can you hear us? Third, okay? third time the charm. Can you hear <laughs> me? <laughs> we can hear you. So we, we've been talking a little bit about our own experiences and appreciation for um, this kind of campaign. But tell us more about the Hacking for the Holidays campaign. Yeah. Thank you so much for your patience with me mm-hmm. and some technical issues. Uh, yeah. So one of the items we receive a lot of requests for makers making change is for adapted toys for kids with disabilities uh to give you the sort of a very quick view or insight into why it's important uh if you have young children with disabilities uh maybe are nonverbal, maybe not moving around a lot teaching sort of basic cause effects is really important and they do that quite often with switch access so that's basically you know you think you go in your kitchen maybe you have two lights so you can switch on the one that's more convenient for you Similar thing with switch adapted toys, where maybe the child's unable to reach, you know, the teddy bear's paw to squeeze it to sing the song. You can have a switch that is positioned in the functional capabilities of the child to push that can then trigger the toy. The switch adapted toys are ridiculously expensive. That exact same teddy bear, if it's got that switch jack in it, can sometimes be 10 times the cost of what you're buying at a Walmart mm. or Amazon. So uh, for Hacking for the Holidays, we have uh, a number of events taking part across Canada. For volunteers, a lot of them students in the K-12 system that are learning robotics or STEM skills, will be working with us in adapting these toys and adding the 3.5 jack to it to give that sort of alternative input to allow kids with disabilities to be able to independently sort of control and use these toys. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing, isn't yeah. it? And it's it's fantastic because you're getting the school kids to do this, the groups and other young people to help design these assistive devices. I mean, number one, for me, it's important because then they start learning more about disability and other, other people's circumstances. Mm-hmm. But for, for you, why is that important? It's really a triple win. For families that have a you know a young child with a disability, their whole world has changed. There's a whole learning piece to go, and it's incredibly expensive. So there's a big cost savings to families by sort of leveraging community sort of piece. For the youth participation, um, I don't know. I was not maybe the world's greatest student as young, and I think a part of that came from, like, I'm going to work hard on this paper. I get my B. What does it matter? It goes into the bin. doesn't really matter. Where this is a chance where youth, the youth can really use those skills they're developing and have a tremendous impact to know that they're helping make that sort of change in the community, really helps us sort of engagement. So, you know, they're developing their STEM skills, they're getting better at sort of electronics or maybe 3D printing is part of this, but they're also realizing that they're, they're an asset to the community and the little actions they take can have a tremendous impact. And yeah, it starts that sort of awareness about accessibility and inclusion and diversity, young, and an opportunity for them really to do something tangible to make that difference yeah. in yeah. their community. Well, we're, we're always happy about when we see something that's, accessible but there's oftentimes 
It's almost accessible. And we're always saying around, if they only did this and that. So it's wonderful to see people thinking of, well, how can I take that as, as technological yes. as we are and grow from there? Chad, do you want to talk a bit about 3D printing and how huge of an asset that that is when it comes to assistive technology development? Sure. For those of you that aren't super familiar with 3D printing, it's basically a manufacturing ability where you can run plastic filament, kind of like a glue gun, through this machine, uh, but you give it a design, it lays out. So think of like a glue gun on an Etch-A-Sketch, laying out pattern layer by layer. Um, the benefit of this sort of model yeah, and our sort of open source designs is, uh, like you're saying, uh, so much as like only they did this. If one was a little bit different, well, right. with it being open source, someone can take that, you know, maybe that writing aid and turn the angle of the pen to work with the sort of slope of the wrist. Or they can put in a larger paintbrush in there. They can really sort of customize it mm-hmm. to meet their functional capabilities, but maybe also their aesthetics. It doesn't need to be, you know, this medical looking device. You can print something in a hot color changing pink if that like sort of speaks to who you are. So you have that sort of bit to sort of customize the device to the sort of aesthetics of the user, the functional capability of the user. And you can go through prototypes and iterations very quick and very cheaply. You get a roll of 3D printer filament for 20, 30 bucks. You can print dozens and dozens and dozens of devices like that. So you can try something, it doesn't work. Well, it's about 20 cents worth of material. I'll try print it again with this little tweak. So you can really do that quick iteration and development to really sort of find what that sweet spot is that works for the person. You bet. Ah, that's fantastic. Uh, What's next for Makers Making Change? It is going to be a sprint to the holidays for us here. We have a lot going on, uh, but with the holiday hackathons, right now we're looking for the community to help us with a couple different things. I have in my office a couple hundred toys. I'm looking to get to 500. So for people that are inclined that want to help us make sure that children with disabilities have a toy that they can use, an accessible toy at Christmas, you can donate. Uh, on the website or if you are a family or a therapist or a care center and you need adaptive toys for the people you serve or the family member in your house you can also go to makers making change you can request a free adaptive toy from us through the website our goal is to get 500 toys with a switch to anyone that needs it in canada in time for the holiday season wow that's fantastic Mm. and how can people get involved whether it's to request something or just to give you guys that support and help in any other way ongoing yeah, on the ongoing basis, uh, if you have uh, any requests for assistive device, you can put a request in through Makers Making Change. There's a library of 180-plus items that you can request that are very billable by our network of volunteers right now. If you have another design challenge that you're not seeing in our library, you can submit that, and that gets picked up by volunteers, by you know university groups um, and other people in the community as well. So we have a big toy push for the holiday season, but this is a program we've been running for six years now, and there's lots of opportunities to sort of help people with disabilities uh, get the assistive technology they need through our volunteer network across Canada. Yeah, and the fun. Experience the fun and the inclusiveness of the holidays this way. I sincerely <clears throat> hope you reach your target. Chad, thank you so much for coming back on, not once, not twice, but three times to make sure we got the message. <laughs> Appreciate it. Making those <laughs> simple adjustments, Chad. I know. <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank you so much for your patience with that. Yeah, feel free to check out the website. We have a number of events going on that the public can attend as well. And if people want to get involved, you should reach out. We'd be happy for to... Sure. Uh, 
Hope you guys get there. Thank you. Thank you, Chad. We were speaking with Chad Lehman, Director of Innovation at the Neil Squire Society, talking to them about makers making change and the holiday or the hacking for the holidays campaign. Another hour of Kelly and Company ahead on our Money Talk. Ryan Chin offers answers to our questions and concerns about inflation. Mary Mamaliti, she's going to share options of what to do with our post-Halloween pumpkins. It's that time. Let's move them on, but let's be creative about it. Up next, Bill here with the buzz. Stand by. Those who (laughs) didn't. They don't know we're saying any of that stuff. Romeo Muthan uh, here with me. Kelly McDonald, host of the program. Thanks for being with us. We're here weekdays from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time live. Repeated the show at 10 p.m. Eastern and 6 a.m. in the morning. However you're listening to the show, we appreciate you being with us. And mostly, wherever you are listening in around the world, always would love to hear from you. Thanks a lot, whether it's via Twitter or giving us a call. Always nice to have you on board. Wednesday through Friday, we welcome in to kick off our second hour, Bill Shackleton. He's a producer over here at AMI, and Bill joins us on the program to uh, buzz in here with whatever items he might have he'd like to share and discuss. Good day, Bill. Welcome back. We're back. How are you guys? Pretty good. Good. Pretty good, yeah. Yeah. Keeping busy, just adjusting and getting used to things and uh, being here in studio in Toronto. uh, You sit here and, oh, I'm not supposed to hit that button now. Oh, yeah. A little rusty. Uh, where are we starting, sir? Thomas Edison. This is a kind of interesting one. Tunes with teeth. Um, Thomas Edison might have left his mark on piano, which is kind of interesting. Now, he invented, as you know, the phonograph. Mm-hmm. But when he was going deaf, he wanted to appreciate music and he couldn't hear it. So... This is there's some serious implications to this. What he would do, believe it or not, is bite the piano near the keyboard and essentially hear through his teeth. Mm, and, okay. Yep. Yeah, and, and this is kind of interesting because he did it with the phonographs too, because he couldn't hear, right? right? So I think the implications are that scientists started the study the fact that you don't have to um, you know, you can be sort of deaf and still appreciate music. I don't know. The article didn't say how he actually, how much he appreciated, but I do think that the, the implications are interesting that, that this would happen, that he could actually do this. I mean, this guy was really involved in a lot of things, right? Yeah. I, I, you know, again, we talk about this as people lose their vision and some of the things, movement, um, expressions and things like that, that people learned when they could see, you wonder how much, and again, I still think someone who has, has been deaf all their life can feel those vibrations and, and stuff like that. It's the interpretation or understanding of them that somebody may have to learn in a different way. But if you know that feeling of a strike of a, of a piano key, uh, you have to wonder, I'm, I'm not sure about grabbing with your teeth the piano, maybe your chin or something like that, but um, but I also understand that because we, we've always, we've had dental work done, and when that drill, and again, we're talking a different era, a different time, but when yeah. anything's being done, you feel that, and I'm, I'm assuming somebody with, with a, you know, hearing impairment, totally deaf, still has that same 
vibration. It's the vibration. Yeah, that goes through. And vibrations, just like anything, um, pitchfork, you think about, they're not all the same. It's like, uh, it reminded me when you guys were talking teeth about that nails on a chalkboard thing. Yes. And yeah. how you, can, oh, yeah. you always you feel, feel it in that your teeth. in your teeth, yep. that scratchy, yep. oh, even a Cut, Cutting up it. something on a plate and their fork and That's knife right. squeak across mm-hmm. does the same, has the same effect. So... If you're if you can build that sensitivity on purpose because that's the way that you listen to music, then that's like that is fascinating. Well, it's fascinating too because he'd obviously have the knowledge of when he could hear. And he that's would true. know yeah. totally where he's going, what what part of him is most sensitive and probably you know as it made him frustrated because I want to be able to enjoy this the way, you know, in some way whether, you know, and maybe he felt putting a hand on a piano, um, you know, an elbow, a, you know, his chin didn't do it. And he wa- he found, for him, the way to conduct it through his body the best way for him. Wow. Well, it, he did, um, he actually did bite it. Apparently that the, 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 um, the owner, well, he was the owner of the piano. It was sold to, to somebody in the U.S., Found and the they teeth have reason to believe, yeah, found yeah. the teeth marks. But <laughs> I think I think the ramifications are: is this something that scientists could 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 do to improve on, or at least is this something that could be taken for further right. further study or that type of thing? And you wonder how many people who have experienced hearing loss or are deaf have their own form of that, do that all the time. And, it, it you know, and it, it's sort of like we sit here and listen to our screen readers speak. For us, that's a natural thing in our ear and, and reciting things back when, when we're reading where other people might say, well, no, I can't do that. I'm a, and, and, and maybe this doesn't work for everyone. Maybe what Thomas Edison did worked for himself in the fashion of his, his past hearing and his knowledge. I mean, this is a, a highly smart person developing and yeah. working with audio. Oh, yeah. 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 Fascinating. Good Next one. thing, sir. It's a, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's one of those drones. Um, oh, boy. This is kind of interesting. I'm fascinated so with drones. You, yeah, I like them. I don't know what kind of noise they make, but um, if you were around Pearson International last week, you might have seen something strange in the sky. Well, what it was, a software company in British Columbia has developed software that makes it possible to inspect a runway. And you might think, well, why would you inspect a runway? Well, it takes it would take it takes a day or two days to inspect a runway. The the drones basically take a picture of the of the of runways, they fit it into a machine language, one of those things, and they they can a 3D map of, of a runway. Now what it is, they can clean they can inspect a runway very fast, and it just means that they can make Pearson International more busier because more planes can land and take off. And when you inspect a runway, you can't have any cracks yeah. or anything on it because otherwise it might the plane might crash. So this is a revolutionary thing which is going to make, if it works, 
um, Pearson busier than it already is. I don't know whether it should be or not. <laughs> well, you got O'Hare, which is a pretty busy airport, yeah, and yeah. some, and it, the Atlanta airport. There is there are. Uh, it's unbelievable the planes that uh, that can be handled at uh, especially the hubs. Um, it's interesting because I think this was done a couple of weeks ago in London. They had students helping them, and oh. they did this big test on one of the runways. And if I recall, it was it was this. Um, they were doing it the same thing there and explaining that because of the crack. And I'm, I think in time, AI will be that constant scan. You'll send the drone out, get the scanning done, and and be able to do more. And this would be just part of the security and maintenance, uh, rec- you know, um, duties, and put into the you know the workflow. It's fantastic. It is. Yeah. And it, it's not surprising, right? Like, the innovation is really already there. Now we're just finding different uses for it. We know how good cameras are. We know about 3D printing and all of its uh, benefits. We know all the different details that went into this project um, that are already afoot. But what's yeah. wild is, <laughs> when I first read this, I was like, oh, it, it, it means that we can be more efficient. But no, they want it to get even busier at Pearson. Like they want yeah. this to to keep moving up uh, so they can pack it even further with um, yeah. flying times. And that to me is pretty scary, man. I think so. Yeah. All right. What else? How about this one? Nova Scotia team restoring the Canada Mayflower um, with trees down by Fiona. Now, this is kind of an interesting one. So the Mayflower, as you know, brought settlers from Britain to the New World in the United States to escape religious persecution. So the Canadian version of this brought uh, 190 settlers from Scotland in 1773 and... The significance of this is that they are they they're restoring this the Canadian Mayflower with well they wanted to restore it with wood, but of course when Fiona hit, it was like what are you going to do with all this wood? So they decided when when the um, Hector Society went in because you know they, they were stalled during the pandemic, so it gave them an excuse to use the wood. Um, to restore the ship, and I, 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 it's very symbolic um, that the some of the trees that were felled um, were planted by some of the original settlers that came over here um, back in whenever that seventeen something, and one actually one one descendant of of the, one of these settlers said, "Well, I'll mill the wood by hand." So. I think there's significant. There's a significant thing when you consider what the Mayflower did and what the Canadian, the Canadian version of this was. I believe basically the same thing. It brought people from Scotland who uh, were trying to escape religious persecution. You know, this is like a follow-up to the conversation we had with Julie Martin. Wow, who we mentioned earlier for the book club. But anyway, um, she was talking about how the communities were just coming together from. The morning after Fiona, like even the night of, but the morning after especially, going out there and um, finding all the wreckage, all the uh, damage, and how are people going to eat, and how are people going to warm up their food, and can people even get out out of their homes, right? Like all these things were happening, and this is just 
more and more example of how people are coming together. I mean, this is a project where people uh, all over are recognizing, yes, there's the cleanup aspect of it as well, but uh, recognizing that they can help in some way and still almost like put their hands on a project that isn't really theirs, you know, like this, this ship and the repairing of it means something from their front yards, their backyards, their skills, their machine um, is being used to create this. It's kind of lovely. And I liked, again, the idea that it's some of the old wood was from the original settlers. That can be something yeah. you can brag about. I mean, that's something that it's you true. might not see. Yeah, no, that's the really stories. Cool. I can mm. imagine the stories yeah. that'll come out of this and, and maybe some other personal touches from people uh, following it as well. Yeah, you could hear well, those stories. Say, Just don't with, don't be biting it. Don't be putting no, your teeth on it to hear the stories, yeah. Bill. If trees could talk. Yeah, you, know you what bet. I mean? <laughs> Thanks, pal. Thanks a lot. Bill Shackleton joins us Wednesdays through Fridays. He brings some articles for us to talk about. Join us tomorrow for the next edition of The Buzz. Coming up next on our Money Talk, Ryan Chin offers some answers to our questions and concerns about inflation. We speak to him after this here on Kelly & Company. Well, we're sneaking your way through the Wednesday edition of Kelly and Company. Rami Booth and Kelly McDonald, hosts of the show, as we settle back in midweek program. Feeling okay? Not bad. We're getting through it and some incredible conversations as usual on the program. If you're new to the show, thanks for listening in. Always wonderful to have you. If you have to run out at any point, check us out through uh, the Radio Player Canada app, TuneIn Radio or OOTunes. Fantastic apps in which you can take us with you and enjoy Kelly and Company whenever, ever, ever you have to wander off in the midst of a program. We don't mind. We don't get offended. Just, you know, just take us with you so you don't miss out on the wonderful conversations. We'll tell you a little later on, too, how to check out the Kelly & Company podcast. I think you probably know how. You've probably listened enough and know to do a simple search for us. But we'll we'll get into that a little later on. It's time to talk a little bit about money right now on the program and kind of understanding money and everything that comes with it. As Ryan Chin, we welcome in, in here, financial advisor. Uh, he has our money talk on the first Wednesday of the month. Ryan, thanks for being with us. Welcome. Hey, thanks, Kel. Uh, nice to nice to have you back. Nice to be on. Yeah, pal. Appreciate it. And looking forward to the words of wisdom, but mostly here, explanation. Because I I wonder if, if you guys find that people, when you work around money and people who don't work around it know a lot, we come up with our own explanations for uh, this particular concern, inflation, as we are asking those questions as to what the heck does it mean? Yeah, I mean, Kelly, I'll tell you, it is, it's certainly the the hot topic right now. And I know that AMI has uh, covered it a fair bit. And certainly on your show, uh, lots of banter about inflation. Well, and you know, inflation can be good and bad, uh, you know, depending on the point of view. I mean, we're, we're certainly involved with a lot of inflationary talk right now. And, you know, inflation simply means um, an increase in costs of, of goods, 
and a decrease in the value of your dollar. You know, for example, Kel, um, you know, back in the day, remember uh, back in school, we used to walk to the corner store and get that penny candy or oh, that nickel penny. gum. Oh, man, that was the yeah, great stuff. Yeah. Oh, and it lasted for and had such bursting taste. Maybe a little okay. hard because they'd keep it around, right, for a little while, eh? Well, the, the, what do you call I bet the bubble it's still gum? in the store today. I bet, so I bet that's what holds the walls up. <laughs> but uh, but I mean, try to go to any store today to find that same penny candy and, you know, the price has gone up. And simply that is an act of inflation. So inflation isn't a bad thing, but what we've been experiencing in the last uh, 12 months, I mean, it's certainly been a bit of an inflation shock. Yeah. It's an inflation shock every time I go to the grocery store. So what causes it if we're getting right into um, inflation and all the ins and outs? Yeah, well, Romia, uh, thanks, uh, thanks for your question. Great one. And you know, like, so <clears throat> inflation um, is caused by sort of you know three three factors, three variables. We've got uh, demand pull inflation. We've got cost push inflation, and then we also have built-in inflation. Um, the most used uh, um, monitor for the inflation is the CPI or the wholesale index, and CPI being the um, the uh, consumer price index. And and this is I know it gets a little technical, but basically these are this is how we monitor how the prices are are either going up or down. Okay. So when we have these three here in front of us, we look at them and think, okay, I think that's what is the one that's responsible for this, or this is this is what causes inflation. Tell us a little bit how this works, inflation. Yeah. Yeah, great question. And 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 you know what? We have an an incredible case study going on right now. Because think of it. So in 2022, we had a global pandemic. And with a global pandemic, the world shut down. So a number of things happened. Um, when the world shut down, everyone got sent home. We weren't allowed to go and do anything. We were stuck at home and trying to find things to do. And a number of stimulus checks were mailed out. So people were receiving money and know nothing to do with it other than shop online. Ramya, you know, mm -hmm. had that Amazon account do, right? So we were buying things. Um, however, the uh, people who were able to, who were producing, the manufacturers, the suppliers, the shipping, didn't have bodies to, to, to produce the products. So with the demand pull effect, um, we we had to deal with you know here it is now everyone's demanding this product so prices start to eke up mm. cost push effect mm. now this this part of it is where now uh the cost of producing the product is going up because supplies are tight uh there's a lot of demand for it it, it costs a little bit more to make it we've got to pay extra people to come on and 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 build put it all together so now we've got the cost push effect and then the third one being built-in inflation where people are just kind of expecting that you know prices are going to keep going up so if prices are going to keep going up well cal 
I want a little extra money for my That's job. That's what here. I was going to say. Salary. If I'm coming in and I'm working harder, and I'm and now that I've sat around saying I don't want to put up with this lousy prices that Ryan's paying, like uh, oh, so you're willing to give me a little more, Ryan? Yeah, because I can pass that on to Rummy over there. That's it. When she and buys that's... the item. And that's exactly it. So there, so we, it's kind of a bit of a vicious circle. Costs more to produce it. Uh, people, the labor, they're caught, they're, they're demanding more to, to, to make it and uh, to get it out to the consumer. So they're starting to pass on that, uh, that, uh, that cost. They pass the, the buck. That's it. And, and here's the thing. So we had the world shut down in 2020, 2020. And then in 2021, the world reopened now we all had a little bit of money in the pocket. We wanted service, so we went out and we we started demand. You know, we want to travel. We want to go here. We want to have more experiences. We stopped buying those products online, and we started getting out into the to the to the community and and experiencing those things. And 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 it sort of caused the perfect storm to escalate or give us that inflation shock mm. over the last year. Because cost of goods went up, cost of experiences went up, and labor costs went up, and it all happened at the exact same time. Yep. Thus, the Bank of Canada says, hey, how do we stem inflation? Let's increase interest rates. Let's make it cost a little bit more money to borrow money. So if we can increase the price of that borrowing costs, then people will stop demanding things like getting mortgages or putting money on their credit card that ultimately will start to temper or reduce inflation because the less demand, the more opportunity for supply to catch up and the lower inflation can happen. And I don't want to, I don't want to throw the word deflation out there just quite yet because we aren't there. But it is on its way because interest rates are now so high that people are starting to not want to borrow and not want to spend. And hopefully, hopefully, we will start to see a decrease in inflation. Not just like people getting stuck, right? Because isn't that part of it as well? Like the equation of uh, inflation happens, so interest rate goes up, so we stop spending, stop borrowing. But Aren't people still getting stuck in one way? And and this is not necessarily a question for you, Ryan. This is just a, uh, you know, hypothetical of what is happening. Well, how are we getting affected? Which leads me to the actual question for you. Um, how is inflection, like, what is it affecting the most in Canada? Yeah. Well, here in Canada, I mean we we are experiencing inflation in many many ways and 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 if for anyone who's you know actively listening to uh to the radio and stuff you're hearing that housing costs are starting to come down the the housing market is cooling off a little bit you know it's certainly uh not where it was uh you know a number of years ago but it's starting you know people are starting to say hey you know what Maybe I don't want to take on that mortgage at this higher interest rate. Mm. So maybe, maybe I, won't, I won't buy it today. Maybe I'll wait six months or 12 months. So that's kind of cooling off. Energy costs, uh, you know, oil and gas, uh, our heat hydro, uh, the costs of uh, actually servicing our, our uh, products. Those those costs have gone up, you know, um, 
I, Cal, Cal, you and I talked about, you know, cycling, you, you know, th- that's free energy. Yeah. That's, you know, pumping the legs. But when uh, those folks who, who's got to go to the actual pump and fill up that gas tank, um, those costs have been kind of going up. They're starting to creep down a little bit now, but uh, but that's also been a big uh, factor. Service costs. And this is the one mm. that's kind of hanging out there uh, because the services repl- um, relate to the labor and so like we're all still out there doing these experiences and it's costing money to staff them you know you want to go on a wine tour or you want to take a trip to to uh, Niagara Falls or you want to hop on a plane and fly to a you know destination those all uh impact service costs and uh they're still up but uh you know again this higher interest rate is going to start to uh slow that demand and then allows supply to catch up a little more hopefully in the next little while and we'll start to see some decrease in this inflation number and and you start wondering when are we going to get to where we're saying things are going up so much inflation's getting ridiculous i just can't afford to buy i'm not going to buy i'm so afraid to buy and and you hope the heck that that doesn't make as people have been trying to catch up and make sure there is demand that or supply excuse me for the demand out there uh we don't want to be stuck there where they're saying well we got to lock doors or can't do this or got to throw this out because people aren't buying anymore ryan how does inflation affect your money well i mean you know simply put inflation uh you know as it goes up it it sort of lessens your buying power. Right. So, you know, and, and it's, it's that age old, you know, you can't get that penny candy anymore. You can't go into the, to the corner store and buy that pack of gum for a nickel anymore. The dollar you know, store is no longer a dollar. It, yeah. You know, you, you want to buy a car, a, a quart of milk and, you know, a quart of milk used to be uh 25 cents. Now it's four fifty. you know, like, so that your dollar uh, uh, is, is, it's not going as far as it used to, you know, inflation is, is, is relative to like a leaky tap. It goes very slowly, but as it continues, it compounds itself and it becomes a bigger animal along the way. You, um, you better clear this up here. Ramya, he does not remember when it was a quarter for, for the milk. Oh yeah. I'm telling you, he doesn't remember that. He's just I'm, speaking. I thought he didn't say because he did remember and didn't want to admit it. <laughs> he, he's speaking metaphorically. Okay. Well, okay, historically, I guess it's more. So. It doesn't mean his history, right? Um, Ryan, you want to talk a little bit because we have the privilege of getting to find out more what you guys have on the uh, agenda often if people go out and check out Ryan Chin and Becky Armstrong um, with your eyes on our money eyes on your money is the podcast name ami uh, audio original podcast um tell us a little bit anything quick to preview yeah sure i mean we we've just dropped uh, episode two i think it, it dropped uh, last friday. friday it comes out the third friday of every month i do encourage uh, you to get on to your uh, podcast catcher and get and sub- like and subscribe we we certainly love uh to uh, to get you guys out there i mean i think we just talked about budgeting uh our next uh our next episode uh upcoming this month uh we we've got it in the can and uh, it's going to all be on uh credit credit cards and you know I, I what i like about our podcast it's you know a very uh introductory explanation on 
you know, how finance works. Awesome. Not using big words or big no. terms. We're just kind of keep it very interesting and simple. Good luck with it. And if people want to reach out to you, people can uh, go to ryan.chin at sunlife.com. We'll talk to you next month, sir. Thank you so much. Thanks for your time. Coming up next on the program, ladies and gentlemen, Mary Mamaliti of Kitchen Confession shares options on what to do with our post-Halloween pumpkins. Yeah, you think you know? Well, she knows it all, and you can too after this. Catch the Pulse this Thursday at 1.30 Eastern Time here on AMI-audio, 10.30 a.m. Pacific Time. This week, Joita talks to Helen Rise of Siblings Canada about their new course, Savvy Siblings, strengthening the financial security of uh, your sibling with a disability. That's the Pulse this Thursday at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 10.30 a.m. Pacific Time here on AMI-audio, available as well as a podcast and on YouTube. Ramya Muthan with Kelly McDonald. Lots to talk about in the world of kitchens and cooking and maybe even the world of Halloween. Let's bring on Mary Mamaliti of Kitchen Confessions. If you're like me, the kitchen is your favorite room in the house. I'm Mary Mamaliti, here with a handful of goodies from my kitchen, including food trends, cooking tips, and of course, some delicious recipes. A handful of conversations we've had this year leading up to Halloween that have been so fun. And talking with Leanne Barda a couple weeks ago on the show um, about pumpkins, what to do with pumpkin, gets all, get all you know, family friendly with the activities you can do. And then she touched a little bit on what we're going to highlight mostly today, which is what to do with your festive gourd, the Halloween pumpkin after Halloween. So enter Mary Mamaliti two days after Halloween to tell us what to do with these pumpkins, the decor, the jack-o'-lanterns. It's over, Mary. So what do we do now? Oh, I mean, aside from dusting off your Christmas decor <laughs> and getting that ready. Yeah. <laughs> and aside so from eating things. all the candy and the chips, which we already talked about yesterday. Oh, I think yeah, I yeah. ate one and I gave out one and then I ate one. I think yeah. it was always just one for one. Of course, of course. Oh, well, that's pretty good, actually. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you're pretty generous. Yeah. <laughs> to myself. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> actually, three, three, no, we three did. one. We did. We had quite a bit of uh, kids come, that's nice. which was yeah, so fun to it? see. Like, you know, kind of like doorbell rings. Like some people will say, do you count the doorbell rings? Because obviously you get two, four, 12 kids at once. You you, you know, you you can't sit there, one, two, three. But do you ever count how many times that doorbell rings? Actually, we sit on the porch. All and right. because I can't oh. see the bags, I'm right. usually the one that sits beside Frank while he kind of hands them out. And I'm the, I'm the queen of, you're welcome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you kids are welcome. Thank you, ma'am. <laughs> or yelling trick or treat or, you know, yeah. I'm usually the sidekick. But nice. we had, I mean, we usually count by the amount of chocolates or candy or chips that we give out. Um, and I think we lost count after 80. Oh, that's pretty. You know, that's great because I've been hearing a lot in my neighborhoods about the lack of uh, children trick or treating. So I'm glad that you had so many. Less oh, yeah, there were so many more day. after that, but guaranteed we know we hit 80 for sure. Okay, good, Mary, good, I'm going to make you end up speaking so fast to do this segment, but I'm dying to I ask know. a question here. 
when you were a kid, were you lucky enough to have a neighborhood where you basically could just go out the door, turn to the left or right, and start trick-or-treating within like 30 feet? Yes. Yeah. Yes, and every second door was a relative. Oh, that's, oh. that's even better. Yes. Wow. So, yeah. Right. So, we got extra treats, and then Italian we knew that there was one street. And... Yeah, it was all happening. Yeah. We were young. <laughs> espresso was being doled out. Yes. But... <laughs> yeah. Go home now. Stay up all night. Right? <laughs> yeah. And there's always that one street that you know that they're giving out the big chocolate bars, the full size. Oh. And that's where we would hit right yep. at the end when our bags were just like loaded. Such mm-hmm. a different time back then. Yeah. Oh, boy. Anyway. I know. Okay. But we want to talk about pumpkins and what to do with them. So, like I said, Halloween's over, um, and we're all getting ready for a new decor, holiday decor, the next one. So what do we do with them? There are a couple of ways. I've, I've picked out five of my favorite ways to either reduce, reuse, or recycle these pumpkins. Okay. One thing I learned over the years is, did you know that you can donate your pumpkin? So I didn't know this. After Halloween, you can donate them. Um, what I suggest you do, though, is do your research. So... Google, find a place that will accept them. Call ahead of time. Make sure that they still are accepting them. They may have drop-off spots um, that are accepting donations because you don't just want to assume and then drop them off. So organizations that accept leftover pumpkins, they're usually zoos, animal shelters, farms, um, community gardens. But again, call and make sure that they're accepting it. Um, because a lot of them, I mean, the garden, the community gardens will be grateful for the compost material, animal snacks are always welcomed. But what I do want to mention is Ontario Parks issued a, a statement and they, they wanted everyone to know. How, they, they've basically asked everyone, do not, please do not dump their pumpkins in parks or conservation areas. You have to call. Yeah. And the reason why they do this, and I mean, it seems harmless enough, but leftover seeds they'll eventually grow into plants. Yeah. And then those plants, they take up space and resources that other plants need to survive. And then over time, they replace the natural food source of animals and they become problematic and invasive species. So you don't want that to happen. And that's why they try and control it and they say, call ahead, please. How'd you get this so, pumpkin patch in the middle of Central right, Park? Right, how did that happen? <laughs> um, so next one, number two, you can eat most pumpkins. Just make sure that they're clean, uncarved, untouched by animals. Um, there's no paint on them because the paint, it, it may seem like there's, you know, it's harmless or some will say it's water-based. There are still toxins in it that can seep into that pumpkin. You don't want any of that. So make sure that they're nice and clean and healthy pumpkins. Also, um, so you're talking, you've used it in that sense. It's been sitting out there for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I would make me nervous, but like you say, you know, you're not. It's not like the thing's out there for three months first. It's not. I mean, and they're on pumpkin patches, right? So they're right. out in the open. I mean, if you're doing something like I do this every year, I do like a little harvest kind of theme thing on my porch, where I have some pumpkins out, different shapes, different textures, different colors. It's very. It's just a whole lot pumpkins. of textural. They're nice whole mm-hmm. pumpkins. Yeah, yeah. whole pumpkins. Yeah. I make sure that there's nothing on them. If Even when you're picking your pumpkin, if you see that there's a little nick in them, that will mold over over time. Yeah. So you don't want any of that. Um, so just make sure that they're nice and, and healthy pumpkins before you start yomping into them. Okay. okay. <laughs> get, use the seeds. The seeds are healthy snacks, right? So you want to get those seeds out, roast them up. I know someone's going to probably say, no way, but yes, they are good. They are. They taste delicious. Yeah, used to do it all the time um, as a kid. Loved it. Right? It's one of my favorite things to do. Yep. 
And I've got actually a couple of ways to, to get them out really quickly, but you can snack on those. You just want to, or you can make um, pumpkin puree from these pumpkins. You just want to zhuzh it up a little bit. So what I mean by zhuzh it up, roast them up and then puree it Ooh. because it's made, right. And then puree it and give that little bit of extra something to it. You can add a little spice, keep it in your freezer. I like putting them in freezer bags, flattening them out. So I'll pre-measure out a cup or two. Put it in a freezer bag, flatten out the freezer bag, seal it up so it's nice and flat. It doesn't take up space in your freezer. And when you thaw it, because it's so thin and it's not a blob of yeah. pumpkin puree, it thaws out very quickly. Okay. Next. So basically, I would say the conversion would be like a six-pound carving pumpkin. That'll give you approximately two and three-quarter cups of puree. So it's a little more than that standard can of pumpkin puree. But it's so good. You made it yourself. You use that pumpkin. It's delicious. Give it a try. If that's not your thing, move on to number three, compost it. So pumpkins, they make a great addition to your compost pile. It's because they're mostly water. So they decompose quickly, but it'll go even faster if you break them apart first. So break that up, put it in your compost. Beautiful. You can actually even turn this into... Oh, I know some parents are not going to like me saying this. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> Which may be a fun family activity where you get everyone and want to smash them. I don't know, but maybe if you're having a rough day, that's great for you. <laughs> Release some of that excess energy. But um, it would be. It would be a lot of fun. And I'm sure you wouldn't have to look far for participants. No, to get smash the baseball bat and you get your own fall classic. And that's the thing, right? There's the before, during, yeah. and after with family pumpkin fun. Because before, you're doing all the digging and the blah, blah, blah in the jack-o'-lantern exactly. making. And then there's the after. To, to carry it all the way through, families. Exactly. And if your neighbors <laughs> look at you weird, just invite them over. Give them a bat. Right. So go at it. Yeah. Better than a rage like room. <laughs> pumpkin composting. Okay. Again, it's pretty simple. Just remember, like we mentioned before, remove the seeds because you don't want that root to, in the pile. You don't want them to root in the pile. Um, that, oh, number four. I love this one because turn it into a soup. Pumpkin bread. Mm -hmm. Oh, um, pumpkin bread. Wow. Right? There's so many uses for that uh, puree. Then number five, if you're ready to throw away those Halloween pumpkins, like the ones, the jack-o'-lanterns, the ones that we've carved, that we've had our fun with, that didn't come out right, the ones that we've carved, um, <laughs> all the scraps go in your yard waste bag or your green bin. Can you, can you put anything, I know we were talking a little while ago, remove the seeds now, you, can, is there a use for someone putting that in their garden? Does it have anything or is it just a place for it to kind of, as you say, it's mainly water. It'll just and be gone. Oh, yeah. You can bury it in your garden. Is, is, there, is it helpful to the garden in any way? Does Absolutely. It, yeah, it adds okay. all those minerals, those nutrients right. into your soil. Right. So again, break it apart. Like compost again, right? Yeah. Exactly. Just, yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. You're just repurposing it and you're putting it into your flower beds. And again, make or, sure the seeds are gone and cut it up. It's always about that seed because you don't want anything growing from that seed. So just make sure the seeds are out of there. Um, and, and it then just, you know, with whatever, whatever's left over, you can just discard it. Yard waste bags. You can put, did you know that you can put your pumpkins in the yard waste bag? A lot of people think it's only green bin, but you mm. can, right. Yeah. You can put it into your yard waste bag. 
Um, just remove any candles, any leftover wax, anything that doesn't belong in a yard waste bag. Remove it from that pumpkin or that jack-o'-lantern that you had and then just put it into the yard waste bin, put it to the side when it's, when it's yard waste pickup, and they'll take it. Same with your green bin. Okay, great. Awesome. A lot you can do with it. A lot. Certainly we didn't know. Uh, I guess unless you regularly do it, you might start learning those yeah. tips, but Mary's got them all for us. You want to talk uh, recipe time? I do. I do want to mention, though, if you are putting it in your yard waste bag, make sure it doesn't exceed your uh, weight limit for your area. I think here in Ontario is 44 pounds. Don't quote me. Just make sure. Double check that. But uh, you can definitely do that. Okay, okay. Recipe. Roasted pumpkin seeds, obviously. One of my favorites. Um, what I want you to do, get seeds from two large pumpkins. Then I'm going to ask you to put some olive oil aside and then in a small little bowl, add about a tablespoon of brown sugar, half a teaspoon of sea salt, an eighth teaspoon of paprika, an eighth of a teaspoon of cayenne pepper, and an eighth of a teaspoon of black pepper. Mix that up, set it aside. You're going to get to that in a second. We're going to remove the seeds from the pumpkin, cut out the top. Here's a hack. Use your hand blender. So you can scoop it out with a spoon, get your hands in there, dig it out with your hands. If it's a textural thing for you, get a hand blender and put your the two prongs of the hand blender inside the pumpkin and turn that bad boy on. That is going to clean out, move it around the inside of the pumpkin. It will clean out and remove every all that pulp from the side and of uh, the pumpkin inside. Next, take the, the take all that pulp and seed out, and you're going to place that because now you want to wash them and remove the pulp from the seeds. Put them into a bowl and fill it with water. Here's the other tip. There's going to be some that are loose that the seeds will float directly to the top. Scoop those out, put them in a colander, set it aside. And then in the water, use your hands. It's easier to remove those pumpkin seeds in the water from the, fault, from the pulp than it is when you're doing it directly without the water that's involved. Because then it gets sticky onto your hands mm -hmm. and you're fighting with it and it's a whole process. But with the water, it's great because the minute you kind of smoosh it around underneath the water, anything that loosens up, they'll float to the top. You can just feel for it, pick it out and put it into your colander. Rinse them out, and then we're going to get a pot, boil some water on the stove, a little bit of salt, boil up those. Um, the, the amount of water I want you to put in is just enough to cover the pumpkin seeds. So it doesn't have to be, you know, entirely full, just enough to cover the pumpkin seeds. Boil that up for about, I want to say, 10 minutes, um, and then remove from the oven. Oh, I missed a step. I'm so sorry. You want to... <laughs> <laughs> remove them from the pot, drain them, and then put them back into the pot. Get your That's when you get your olive oil and your spices in there. Ooh, Mix okay. them up, stir it up, coat them, put them on a baking sheet, a rimmed baking sheet and lined with parchment paper. Spread it out into an even layer. Bake that in the oven at 350 uh, for about 10 minutes. And then remove them, stir, pop them back into the oven, 8 to 10 minutes more. Cool them and enjoy. So, Mary, to clarify, do you want us to toss them around in the pot afterwards on heat or just after draining them, uh, toss them around in the spices and then put them straight in the oven? Okay, so what you're going to do, I know because I mixed that part up, you're going to turn, when they start boiling, so after 10 minutes you've boiled them, turn the heat off, drain them. Once you've drained them, pour them back into that same pot because it'll, it'll, you don't have to dirty another bowl. Put them back into the same pot, and that's when you kind of cover them with the olive oil as seasoning, right? Less mess is key. Mm. And then that's when you pour whatever's in that pot that you've coated, all those beautifully coated um, pumpkin seeds. That's when you pour them into the ba rimmed baking sheet. Got it. 
and that's where you bake it up. Got it. So you're just kind of um, cooking them a little before baking them. Ah, right. So exciting. I love pumpkin seeds. I usually don't t- take the time to do this, though, because I, I didn't know how long it would take. I knew it wasn't just a simple roast. Like, well, you could. Yeah? I mean, you could. You, yeah, you don't have to boil them necessarily. It just adds that. It plumps them up a little bit. True. Which is what I like. So it gives that a little extra plump. Yeah, because it sucks um, up the water, doesn't it? In exactly. That sense. Yeah. yeah. And the exactly. nice thing My... is, doing it this way means you can add whatever seasonings you want to it. Mm-hmm. Which is exactly love, and you can make them as crispy as you'd like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also, before we have to get going, the latest mm-hmm. Kitchen Confession podcast episode, please. Episode 124, Spice, Food, and Wine with Beverly Crandon. So this one here was a lot of fun. Beverly Crandon is the second black female in Canada to become a certified sommelier. Beverly says there's a whole lexicon around wine that people find intimidating you know, and typically revolves around European regions and cuisine when you're drinking wine, right? You pair it with those two. So she started what's called the Spice, Food, and Wine Group, And this is to find common ground with others and then push the envelope with unconventional ethnic pairings. So in this episode, we talk about um, the food origins and influences that she explores to make the food and drink industry more exciting and more inclusive. That's nice. It it reminds Mm -hmm. me of just fusion overall, right? Like, absolutely. Yeah. Being able to bring two kinds of foods, recipes, places around the world together. And uh, she's got some very interesting pairings. Yeah? Yeah. It's it's a lot of fun. Did butter chicken come up? I want to know what kind of wine to have with my butter chicken. <laughs> <laughs> she taps into all of that. Jerk chicken, all of it. Yeah, Everything. Anything that's got a spice to it. Beverly is talking about it and pairing things up. Okay. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. Okay. Thank you so much. And people can check that out on their favorite podcast platform. Uh, you enjoy your two weeks. We'll chat with you soon. Thank you. Mary Mamaliti of KitchenConfession.com, which is where you can go for her recipes, uh, all kinds of other conversations. She's also on social and, again, for the Kitchen Confession podcast. You can check it out on your favorite podcasting platform. We're going to step aside for a moment. Think, of course, about those pumpkin seeds. I'm just thinking spices. What ones do I love the most when we'd make them? Anyway, we'll uh, see what's coming up tomorrow on Now with Day Brown and preview our show right after this. From the main campus here at AMI, Ramya Muth and Kelly McDonald holding uh, down the fort here for Kelly and Company as we are weekdays from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Check out the podcast. If you can't stick with us for a show or maybe you prefer the podcast, maybe that's the only way you listen to it. You already know this business. Folks, subscribe using your favorite podcatcher. You can listen to the show in segment form or listen to the show in its complete form today Jeff Ryman, he's providing our audio vanity card that's on the end of the full show podcast. Please check it out. Matt Agnew did yesterday's. And I understand Brock Richardson handling tomorrow's for us. So uh, get some different voices and stuff like that on the vanity cards. But you hear those by listening to the complete Kelly and Company podcast experience. If you prefer to go back and check out a certain segment, we also post the uh, individual segments for the most part of the program available on the podcast feed. 
Subscribe now using your favorite podcast platform to Kelly and Company and many of the other AMI-audio podcasts that you've heard us mention today over the program, of course. Ramya, what segment would you like to recommend folks go back and maybe re-listen to? Mm-hmm. We had a very incredibly informative conversation with Ryan Chin on our Money Talk, which, by the way, is quite new. So a reminder that it's on the first Wednesday of the month. Uh, and he explained inflation, you know, lots of details on what inflation is, what causes it, this effect of yin and yang, right? The the product and the demand, um, the the way that Canada is experiencing inflation and also why interest rates was implemented, like why hiring implement uh, interest rates was implemented at all by the Bank of Canada. Um, I thought it was quite well done the explanations that he gave us and so i appreciated that convo i want to mention too i'm going to be a little greedy here uh our chat with uh, chad lehman a uh, director of innovation at the neil squire society uh, who joined us in hour one of the program to talk about really the maker space and being able to adapt so many things example toys their goal to get 500 toys made adaptable for for children with disabilities and the work that's being done by other per- children to kind of make these things happen in the way of talking to those who need or who are interested in creative they're always looking for people in that maker space so you may want to check that out also greg david had a wonderful lineup of remembrance uh, programming that you may wish to check out uh some indigenous programming and remembrance day programming uh so much of it ahead in the next week and a half and he had a lot for us paul daniel joins us he is one of the producers for now with dave brown their program on ami tv 9 a.m in the morning also available as a podcast Hey, Paul, welcome back, and what's up tomorrow? Hey, Kelly, on tomorrow's show, Dave will, Dave will dip into his dip his toe into the world of fashion when he talks to Ardra Shepard, host of the AMI original series, Fashion Dis. Stephen Scott and Devil Tap will discuss the growing popularity of a social media platform called Mastodon. He'll also discuss the future of dictaphones in the age of accessible alternative technology that's, that's being offered by the major tech companies. Does dictaphone, do dictaphones still have a future? Lane Deutscher, a community reporter in Regina, Saskatchewan, will tell us more about the upcoming Grey Cup Series XM kickoff party. As you know, Kelly, Regina's hosting this year's Grey Cup game. Yeah, it's going to be something else. It's really mm-hmm. cool. Uh, we've got that. And we down in London, we've got the Vanier Cup this year. So right. it's really going to be interesting. And, Paul, I, I don't know. Would you switch? Would you go from Twitter to, is it Mastodon? Is that how you say it? Like the, yeah, the, Mastodon. Yeah. yeah like the, like I, the, I, I, I had to see it first. I had to see what it is first. I mean, what, what it offers. It's but, funny uh, to me to think of switching something like that. I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure if I can give a comparable where I would struggle, but, uh, yeah. you, know, you know, thinking about it, even down to using a, a different client to use Twitter, I've struggled with. So good conversations. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Take care, Kelly. Paul Daniel, one of the producers, now with Dave Brown. Catch their program 9 a.m. in the morning uh, on AMI-tv, and you can find it as a podcast. Ramya, we won't be here tomorrow. Brock and Danielle will pinch hit for us while we're mm-hmm. making promos. That's right. It's going to be a fun show. Okay. Well, folks, hopefully you'll join us tomorrow. Let's see what we've got. Michael Fair is going to highlight a company and community of authors creating completely accessible and complex story-driven games, which puts you in charge. Also, Fern Lullum features figures about disability published by the UK Office for National Statistics. We have the Thursday Buzz with Bill Shackleton, of course, and we're going to reach into the archives and listen back to a roundtable conversation. Brock and Danielle are with you starting at 2 p.m. Eastern here on AMI-audio. Have a great night, folks. 
Fedora's off to you. Hey guys, it's Jeff here, and as some of you may know, I recently got married. Got married on October 21st, so about a week and a half ago, and traditionally, a lot of couples would go on their honeymoon a day or two after they got married. Aaron and I, we kind of wanted to relax a little bit and enjoy a little bit of our married life together before we went on a trip, so... Uh, we're actually going on our honeymoon this Sunday and we're not going too far uh, as we live just east of Toronto we're going to Niagara on the lake so about a two-hour drive away uh, we've been to Niagara Falls we've been to a couple of wineries at Niagara on the lake but we've never stayed there overnight uh, we didn't want to go international either we didn't want to have to deal with the airports so we figured why not stay at a local resort uh, pillar and post is where we're going to be staying it looks beautiful we've had friends and family who have stayed there before uh, they've got an outdoor pool that's open year-round which is kind of intriguing to me I'm a bit of a water baby myself They've got some beautiful restaurants. Of course, you're right in the village of Niagara-on-the-Lake, which is beautiful anyways. Uh, so yeah, we're going to be going down there for two nights. Uh, not a huge trip, just uh, enough to soak up some rest and relaxation. So we have a couple's massage that we'll be going to. We're going to a couple of wineries, including Gretzky's, which is really cool because, of course, there's going to be a little bit of a sports touch uh, in there somewhere while we're sipping on some wine. So uh, I'm pretty excited, and uh, I'll keep you guys posted as to how everything went. Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Joita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. Watch The Pulse on YouTube or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts.